Welcome to Seminary Class 101. We're going to have... I like studying the Bible. Amen? Are you guys with me? It's just good. We're going to have a lot of studying today. We're going to have a lot of background. We're going to have a lot of what's going on, why is it going on, so bear with me this morning on all that. I'll try not to get too excited about it, but just to... Just to know what's happening, when we read God's word and know the context of what's happening and all that, it's going to be important on this particular message. So we're going to do a lot of background, and so I just need, I just need you to tra- track with me today. Are you guys with me on that one? Can we do that? Just track with me? Brittany says no. All right. But hey, by the way, um, be in prayer. We do have people in our church that are sick now. We've got people that are out on vacation, that are out on work, and uh, we got our, our youth, and, and Jamie is out at camp, and then I get to, my family gets to join where I get to teach what, five days, I think, something like that, and so it's going to be it's gonna be an awesome time out there, so be in prayer uh, for these students, and uh, I remember last year uh, teaching and uh, just seeing these, these young people just get it, and they give their life to Christ, and it's just amazing to see what happens, so we pray for our students that are there as well. As we dive into our text today, we're in Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one at the end of your row, or one in the row in front of you, or just take your neighbor's, you know. They won't mind, and uh, Lori might mind, right? She's giving me a look. Don't, don't take your wife's Bible, Dan. So Mark chapter 2, and we're going to be in there in verses 18 through 22. And the title today is Jesus Changes Everything. Anybody a fan of change? No? Okay, one person. One person out of everybody is a fan of change. One thing that we can all relate to in our life is change. Right? Sometimes it's good and other times not so much. Even if we know it's good, we don't like it, right? Even if we know that. So sometimes it's for the worst, sometimes it's for the best. Um, I remember growing up, anybody have a really large family where you spent a lot of time together as a family? Right? And so I don't know how in the world she married me after this, but Jessica and I, her second date was at a birthday party where there was about 60 people at my parents' house and my wife stuck around. So. You know, I don't, I don't know, but, but we had a lot of people there, and one of the people that were always there was my grandparents, and one of the things that I liked to do with my grandparents was just to sit down, both sides, we were blessed with grandparents uh, and great-grandparents on both sides, and one of the things that, that, that I was blessed to do was to sit and talk with, um, with my grandparents about history, about their life, about what they went through. Anybody a history fan in here? You just like to know what people have gone through and, until you're a history, or you're a history buff? And I remember sitting down one day with my grandma, my dad's mom, and we were just talking about change in her life. And she had, my grandpa had passed away in 2001, and, and before he passed away, he had said, hey guys, get, get my wife, get, get grandma, get your mom a computer. And, uh, and so they did, and they, they got her this computer, and I, I went over to my, grand, my grandma's house often, and so I went over there one day, and she said, I need your help with something. And I said, what's that? And she goes, I've got a com- that computer in there. And I said, yeah. She goes, I need you to pack it up. I said, Grandma, you only had that thing four or five months. Why do you mean, what do you mean pack it up? She goes, I have played all the games on there there is to play. And so she was like, that's it. Just give it to someone else. And I'm like, Grandma, do you know how much that costs? Do you know, you know what? And it was a nice computer. And she got into this thing about, she goes, Jeff, it's just too much. I was telling her, you could put pictures on there, you can send emails, you can do all these things, and she was just, it's too much, it's too much change. And I remember that leading into a conversation about um, change in her life. She, heard, she talked about how life was hard for her and her family when their dad up and left them when they were young. 
She talked about an illness that her brother had and how he died around five or six years old. And I remember thinking, man, if that was today, I'm not a doctor or anything, but you, you hear about people, it's not a big deal. Like they survive this, this illness all the time. She talked about their early mornings on the farm and how they would get up really early in the morning, they would have chores, and then how she would ride her horse I don't remember the horse's name, and I couldn't get a hold of my grandma, but she would ride her horse to a one-room, like one-room schoolhouse, right? Has anybody ever seen those? Like, you ever go out and, like, historically, you go see a one-room schoolhouse, and she would tie her horse up. She remembers the, the first time she rode a bus or rode a car, and as she got older, she experienced a lot of change, Right? A lot of a lot of new things in her life. She would talk about TV, and now she has this big fancy TV that has color on it, right? And so she was really excited about those things. She remembered how special it was for her to fly in a plane, and now how just common it is to fly. And she all the technology that she went through, and she's got this decent computer, and she's just like, it's just too much change. I don't want to do that. And I remember her talking about how that change in her life cause things to never be the same. There's some change in our life that's temporary, right? And there are change in our life that makes things new or makes it so it'll be never be the same. And so once her dad left, things were never the same. Once her family got a car, things were never the same. Once they got a TV and a color TV, things were never the same. When they got married and they had kids and they got this house, things were never the same. And so sometimes change is good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's seen as, as good or bad or temporary or permanent. So we all have moments in our life where we just know things are never going to be the same. Maybe it's a loss of someone in your life. Maybe it's a job loss. Uh, it could be a positive thing, a joyful thing. You're having kids. You get married. You graduate. You kick the kids out of the house. Joyful moment, right? You, you, get a, you get a great job or you retire. Whatever it may be in your life, with change, sometimes things are never going to be the same. And so really what's happening here is as we approach our text in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see a lot of change. We're going to talk about the Pharisees a lot. We're going to talk about what it means to be religious. We're going to talk about fasting. We're going to talk about all those things. But really, I want us to view it from this. Things have been one way for a long time. And as Jesus lives his life on earth, he brings change to where things will never be the same. Are you with me? And kind of let's look at it through that lens today. As we walk through the Gospel of Mark, we see much change Changes for individuals, changes for all of humanity. In fact, I love how Mark opens up the book. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What he is introducing is that change. He's, 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 uh, he's laying out for us, things are going to be different. Jesus Christ is here. He's the Messiah. He's the promised one. He is God, and, and he, is, he is here. So he's laying out for his readers that, that things are going to be different, and they will never be the same. There is good news Right? In fact, it is the best news ever. Jesus Christ, the one you've been waiting for, he's here. John the Baptist talks about this change. He's got a ministry to prepare the way for Jesus. There's a new king in town. The Messiah is here. And Jesus, as he begins his ministry, he continually brings change for the right there and right now and for eternity. And we know how the end of the book went, right? How the end of the book, right? How it ends. And we're grateful for that change. Amen, church? And so we have these Jews and these, these Pharisees and just the people of that day that were used to a way of life. They were used to a certain protocol. They had their norms and their traditions. Anybody have a family tradition that you grow up with and then you get married and you no longer have that tradition? Even though you want to, maybe your spouse has a different one and you, you make a new tradition. So they're used to that way of life. And then enters Jesus. 
right? He enters in for his, his, uh, his ministry. He comes in in chapter 1 and we see that he teaches, right? And that he casts out demons. And those that heard him and saw this, saw what Jesus was doing, it says, they were all amazed so that they debated amongst themselves saying, what is this? Right? I think if we saw Jesus, we might say, what is this? What, who is this? A new teaching with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately the news about him spread everywhere into the, all the surrounding district of Galilee. And so they've got their way of life and then Jesus enters the scene. Jesus goes and he shows his power to, to heal sickness. He shows his, his authority to forgive and restore. He touches and heals a person with leprosy. Who does that, right? Jesus is saying it's different now. He calls a tax collector. You don't call a tax collector to follow you. You don't hang out with tax collectors. But he calls a tax collector to follow him. And that tax collector ends up writing up with the power of the Holy Spirit the book of Mark or Matthew, right? Matthew wrote Mark and Mark, no, I'm just kidding, right? So, so I mean, he, he does all of these things. He hangs out with uh, and has a meal with tax collectors and sinners. It's just different. The religious leaders and others are just thrown back, and they're saying, man, what is going on? And Jesus is trying to tell them, this is why I came. There needs to be something new. There needs to be something different. This is, this is why I came. I came for those that need me. What you're doing doesn't work. The religious leaders have pursued this life the entire time of working and, 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 and leading and trying to please God and leading other people to try to please God. And really what they're doing, right, have we ever heard of, um, now I'm going blank, legalism, right, kind of putting unnecessary burdens on other people. And so that's what they're doing. They're putting unbearable burdens on other people that were really unnecessary. And Jesus shows up and says, I'm here to change things. He's saying, guys, Stop trying so hard. You can't earn salvation. Guys, st- stop it. You can't earn forgiveness. There's no way for you to deserve it, no matter how religious you are. But guess what? Here's the change I bring. If you follow me, right? If you give your life to me, you turn from your sin, you repent, and you follow me and believe in the gospel, right? Jesus says, I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's changed, but I will forgive you. I will save you. I bring that change and a new life for you. And he shows grace People in those days weren't used to religious leaders giving them grace. Church, Jesus changes everything. If you had walked in your life for a long time without knowing Christ and then you get saved, he changes your life, right? And we can already tell by our passages, if you, if you haven't been with us, that's okay, uh, walking through the book of Mark, because we have already seen and we're going to continue to see these religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they are not happy with the change that Jesus is bringing. He's messing things up. He's not following their rules. But Jesus tells them, guys, you're the ones that are missing. They don't want this change. They don't want this truth. They don't want this challenge to their way of life and their way of traditions and to their authority. But Jesus continues to bring that change and that newness. Jesus knows that things need to be different. Right? He's very well aware that one day Romans 6.23 is going to be written. It says, you know, for, all of, or for the wages of sin is death. Right? But there needs to be the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Right? So he knows things need to be different. And he is here not to make people religious. Let me say that very clearly. Jesus is here not to make people religious, but to call them to repentance and to himself. He's calling them to a new life. He's calling people not to a set of rules, but to follow him. 
And that call is for every single one of us. None of us are get to skip that calling, right? We're going to have to respond to the change in our life one way or another. We trust Christ, we believe in the gospel, or we reject, we reject Christ. And so that brings us to our text this morning. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, where Jesus is going to continue to challenge their way of thinking, and he's going to bring change and newness, especially those that follow him. So if you guys would read with me Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Mark writes, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees, or and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. Gives another example. No one puts new wine into old wineskin. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins. And the wine is lost and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wine skins. Let's pray, church. God, as we open up the word of God this morning and just learn what is happening here and why you did what you did and why you say what you say, God, we pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives, that, you would, that we would see what you're trying to teach the people here. So, God, be with us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So really up to this point in the ministry of Jesus, there's been a focus of Jesus on really sinners, right, and and calling them to follow him. He's going to call the tax collectors. He's going to call the sick. He's going to call the the sinners and the unclean. And now we're going to see a little bit of shift in him. He's going to direct his focus towards those that call themselves religious. He's going to challenge and, and focus on their way of thinking. He's going to challenge the religious all throughout Mark. But today, he's going to do that in the area of fasting. We saw him do it last week whenever they said, Jesus, why, why is Jesus hanging out with these sinners and the tax collectors? Why is he hanging out with them? And Jesus challenges their, their thought. I need to slow down. I can't even get my words out right. Like Jesus challenges their thought. And now he's going to do it in the area of fasting. But as we approach this text, here's Seminary 101 right now. I want us to lay out some meanings of some words that I'm going to use and I've already used already. And the first one is religious. We have something that pops into our mind when we think of the word religious, right? We're going to talk more about being religious in a few weeks, but it's important that we understand it for today to to get a proper understanding whenever I'm going to, or we use the word religious. Because here's the thing. We often use the word religious and Christianity interchangeably, right? But they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Christianity and religious, being religious, are two different things. They're different. So know that when I use the word religious this morning, here's what I mean. If a person is religious, here's the thing. If a person is religious, it is a person who is trying to earn God's favor. Right, They are trying to earn God's favor by doing certain things or not doing certain things. So they're trying to live their life in a way that would be pleasing to God. We want to live our life pleasing to God. Amen, church? Are you with me? But it's not to earn God's favor. We can't earn that. I overheard a conversation recently uh, where the people involved were talking about getting into heaven or earning God. And they were going deep, and if you guys know me, it took everything I had not to like jump in, right? But they're having this, this conversation, and, and they're saying things like this, I'm trying my best, 
right? I hope I have done enough when my time comes. I hope my good outweighs my bad. I love God and doing all I can to make it to heaven. Those are statements that are focused on being religious, not in walking with Christ. So you'll hear me use that word religious. The second thing is this. What does it mean to fast? Right? What does it mean to fast? In our text, the topic of conversation that is brought up to Jesus is in the area of fasting. In short, here's what it means. To, to fast means to put something aside. It means to put a, usually a need aside. You're going to put something that you need aside physically to pursue God and to spend time with God, to seek God. So, for example, you, you have the denial of food. Right? You put aside food for a period of time to pursue God. It is showing that you realize that your spiritual need in your life, that your eternal needs, your, your need for God is greater than your need for anything else. A lot of times we don't live our life that way, right? Like we just, we need, we need. You ever been hungry and your stomach just starts growling and you're like, I need food, right? But God's saying you need me more than that. So it's the idea of putting aside a need so that you can spend time with God. And often, um, often fasting was and still is done in moments of great need. If you're having a moment of great need or you're in a, a moment of, of, of sorrow or maybe of mourning, you'll see people fast today and in this time. In the book of Acts, before, before the church does something great, they're about to send, uh, in the book of Acts, the church of Antioch is about to send Paul and Barnabas out on a mission. Right? They're going to go plant churches. They're going to go spread the gospel. They're going to do all those things that they're called to do. And what did they do? They heard the calling on their life, and they and the church, they fasted and they prayed. They set everything else aside and put all their attention on God. Showing God, we need you more than anything else. So in seeking God's will, we can fast. In times of mourning or repentance, we can fast. In times of sickness or whatever it is, we can fast. And we, we're going to talk more about fasting uh, as we continue to walk through this. But I want us to get that idea. So we have the idea, here we are. Jesus is out with his people, right, with the ghost that he's called. And you've got John the Baptist people, right? John the Baptist has been arrested, but his, the disciples just means his student, right? You're a follower of him and his teaching. So they're fasting. You've got the Pharisees and their people that are fasting. Are you guys with me so far? All right. So we're going to move on to verse 18. Mark writes this. He says, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So we just talked about that. And they came and said to him, they come up to Jesus, and they said to him, we don't know exactly who it is. We can see it's somewhat implied here. But it says, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? What gives? What's, what's happening, right? Here's what they're saying. You have people that are obviously very religious. The people that are following John the Baptist, they're religious. The people that are following the Pharisees, they're very religious, right? They're following the law, and, and they're following those that lead them. They're, t- they're taking this time to fast. They're seeking God. But here you are, Jesus, right? You're a teacher. You're a religious leader. And your followers, those that are with you, Jesus, they are not fasting. So what's up? Right? What's going on? What makes you and your followers any better than us? What makes you all think you are above what we are supposed to be doing? So there's a reason why they're approaching Jesus, because there's something more that we need to know about fasting, and in their culture and in the context of what we're looking at. So what, why, aren't, why aren't you fasting, Jesus? And here's the reality. In fasting at that time, there was a requirement by law on the Day of Atonement you would have to fast for one whole day, 24 hours. Are you with me? 
One whole day, you would have to fast for 24 hours. It's called the Day of Atonement. And it was the only, according to their law, it was the only mandated time that a person must fast. But you're going to see throughout Scripture that God's people, Old Testament, New Testament, they didn't only fast on the Day of Atonement, but throughout the year. So if they're going through things in their life, right, if, if uh, they've got that one time that they have to fast because it's required, but if there's other things going on in their life, they would fast as well. Here are about three things why you see people fast. A national tragedy. They're going to gather together and they're going to fast. If there's a crisis going on, maybe there's a war or a plague or something like that, they're going to gather and they're going to, or sit by themselves and they're going to fast. Or maybe it's a personal reason. Maybe there's an illness. Maybe they're wanting to pursue God. Whatever it is, they are fasting. So even though these three weren't required, these types of fastings weren't required, they wanted to fast. They had their one time a year, and then throughout the year they would fast because they wanted to seek God. And now we have the Pharisees. And we, what we've learned about the Pharisees is we can see they like to add to God's word. Right? You have the word of God. You have the law. And then the Pharisees will add things to them like traditions and, and their opinions. They would add things to people's lives so that they could be more religious like they were. They would add traditions along with the law. And one of the things you're going to see Jesus continually do is saying, why are you Pharisees holding your traditions as high as you're holding the word of God? Right? You guys tracking with me so far? All right. And so one of the things that, they, one of the things that they've added to is in the area of fasting. They've got one time a year that's required, right? You guys with me? One time a year that's required. And then other times it was however God led them. And the Pharisees made it known to everyone. So on Mondays and Thursdays of that week, of any week, the Pharisees would make it known to the whole crowd that they were fasting. It, didn't, it wasn't now just one time a year. Now they're going to pick Mondays. I don't know where that came from. Mondays or Thursdays, the Pharisees were going to fast. And because they were the religious leaders and people looked up to them, now many in that day on Mondays and Thursdays, they too would fast. If you didn't fast in that day, you were looked down upon. You see Jesus, they're questioning, what's, what's the deal? Why aren't you fasting? But these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they weren't just having time with God. There was a public display of it, Right? They're making a public display of it. Something that was a personal thing between them and their God. They would mark the streets, march the streets and make it known what they were doing. They wanted everybody to know this is how religious we are. Right? This is how good we are at earning God's favor by what we are doing. In fact, what they would do is they would take ashes and they would kind of rub them together and get the chalk of the ashes and they would rub them on their face. Now, why would they do that? Right? Because they wanted to look more worn and tired out and dirty because they had been fasting for so long. And so they made this big deal about fasting. And they made it a big deal to go out and really show everybody how religious they were. The Pharisees saw themselves as set apart. That's, that's how they saw them. They said, oh, Brittany, you're, you're, okay, well, I'm a Pharisee, so I'm set apart from you. Right? I mean, we're, we're all on the same playing field, are you with me, right? And so that's, that's how they would look at themselves, because they were more religious. So they would show that off in front of other people. They're trying to earn God's favor, but they have missed something that Jesus brings, which is the grace of God through Jesus, right? And they're still trying to earn and, and earn God's favor and trying hard to, to, to get to heaven. And so with the traditions and the ways they've been taught to fast, these people, they come up to Jesus and they ask him, why aren't you fasting? Why aren't you people fasting? Are you guys with me on this lesson so far? Are you guys, 
This is a lot of information, so I'm with you. So you've got the religious people, right, and their traditions and how they do things. You've got fasting and how they've done things. And so it makes sense now why they would walk up to Jesus and say, Jesus, dude, Mr. Dude, right, why aren't you fasting? What are you doing? And so Jesus, during this time, it's probably on a Monday or Thursday because that's kind of what they did. Why aren't you fasting? Jesus paints a picture for them in his response. And something that they would be very familiar with. Now, Jesus is kind of, you might, I'm going to read this verse here, and you might look and say, what in the world is Jesus talking about? They're coming up to him and say, Jesus, man, Dan, why aren't you fasting, man? And Jesus starts telling them about a wedding. All right? Now, I'm going to explain that to you. And it says, Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants, now keep in mind, he doesn't even respond to what they're saying yet. Like, why aren't you fasting? While the bridegroom is with them, right? The attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as the bridegroom is with them, they cannot fast. So if we were to approach this text without knowing the the customary things of what are going on, you might look at that and say, what in the world are you talking about, Jesus? Right? That's why it's important to know the context. You might look at this and say, man, I I think Jesus heard this wrong. Right? Or, what in the world are you talking about? Why are you now talking about bridegroom and, and, and wedding when we're talking about fasting here? But Jesus knows how to respond to us in a way we understand. Are you with me? He knows how to respond to us in a way that we understand. And he brings the talk of a wedding into the conversation. Now, here's why. Weddings were big deals. Anybody remember their wedding? Right? You have that, that day of weddings. That was a big deal for them. Here's some of the traditions that you have at a wedding. If there was a first-time bride, never been married before, what would happen is there would be an invitation, right? Brent, I'm going to give you an invitation to the wedding, and you receive that invitation, and really what you're receiving is we're going to celebrate with this couple for seven days. Seven days. Now, here's the other thing. If you were a widow, ladies, if you were a widow, and this is your second wedding, you got three days of celebration. I'm game, right? Let's just party for three to seven days, right? Either way. And so that's what's happening. The celebration would last that long. I remember when Jessica and I got married, we did things a little different than these guys did, right? Jessica and I had a very, very large wedding because we were so smart. We've got a very large family, right? And then we both have very large churches. So give you an idea of what we did, which was really smart, was we invited all of our family and friends, which would have been a very large wedding in the first place, and then we had an open invitation to a church where I attended, which was about 2,000 people, and a church that Jessica attended, which was about 6,000 people. Probably not the smartest thing in the world, right? Especially if you're going to party for seven to three to seven days, but... But on our wedding day, it was a one-day event. Anybody had a wedding that lasted longer than one day, right? It's a one-day... Don't raise your hand, Chris. You're, you're getting itchy, man. Three or four days, you're good? Right, so they had a one... Ours was a one-day event. The ceremony lasted about 20 or 30 minutes. We had that line where everybody takes up way too much of your time, and you got to go sanitize your hand afterwards because you have all these people. Remember all the people that were at our wedding, so we're standing there for like an hour shaking people's hands. And it felt, you know, just felt forever. And then we took pictures, and then we headed off to the reception to celebrate. Right? Are you with me? You guys remember in your wedding and how all that stuff lasted? At the end of the night, right, we would depart. Jessica and I would depart. They just wrote stuff all over our window that took us forever to wash off, right? And things that are hanging behind us that surprised we didn't get a ticket. You get what I'm saying? And then we go off. We go off to celebrate. Honeymoon time, right? It's a long day. I can't imagine doing that for three to seven days. I had a friend of mine that's a pastor here in, in Tucson named Marcos, and he's from Mexico. He was born in Mexico. He's Hispanic. His wife is Hispanic. And uh, he invited me to be a part of their wedding. You know, 
Like 14 hours later, we were walking out of there, man. It was just crazy. And it was great, but it was a lot of celebration. They started, they had their wedding, and the, the ceremony started in the morning. Two or three hours later, the ceremony's over. Don't leave anywhere. Everybody's involved in pictures, and everybody goes to the celebration. But weddings were known as a time for only rejoicing. Right? We always, you hear people say, hey, leave your stuff at the curb. That's really the idea. Whatever you're doing, you go to a wedding, you're just going to set your, your worries and your whatever, even your religious activity, you're going to set it off to the side and you're going to go party for three to seven days. There's going to be lots of dancing, lots of, lots of drinking, lots of eating, lots of just hanging out and supporting the two becoming one. Are you with me? All right. So Jesus says this. While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So you have these religious people walking up to Jesus and say, hey, we've got things we have to do because it's the religious thing to do. You're not going to earn God's favor if you don't do it. Plus, we really like these traditions, and so you need to do it. And Jesus is like, wait a minute, fasting is for times of of sorrow and, and mourning and seeking God and just really setting aside things that give us pleasure to be with him. And he's saying, what I want you to do right now is just kind of set aside your way of thinking and put this on. Picture me as the groom here. Jesus is saying, picture me as the groom. We see God pictured as the groom of the people in the Old Testament. And Jesus, right, we're the bride of Christ, right? If we know Christ, we're the bride of Christ. So it's something that is illustrated throughout Scripture. He's saying this. He said, picture me as the groom. I'm here. There's no need to fast. I'm here. And while I'm here, while I'm with you, while I'm with these people, it's not time to fast. It's not time to mourn. It's not time to be filled with sorrow and put things aside. It's time to rejoice and celebrate because the groom is here. Are you with me? Just like a wedding where the wedding party is there, it's time to rejoice. Jesus is saying, church, let's hear this really clearly this morning. Jesus is saying, when you are with me, it is time to rejoice and be filled with joy and to celebrate. It's not time to fast for them because Jesus was there. God is standing right there with them. So, so re- oh, I'm in trouble. Man, i got to speak five times at camp. Okay, so rejoice. I think I went through puberty right there, Dan. I don't know. So when they asked Jesus, why aren't your followers fasting? He's comparing and saying, the party's still going on. I'm right here. The groom is with you. Jesus is with you. And it's time for joy. That's why. The religious and the religious leaders, they were so busy being religious and trying to earn God that they couldn't celebrate the God that was there. Right? They were so consumed by rules. Keep in mind man-made rules and man-made traditions. Man, we are to follow God's law. Amen, church? We are to follow the word of God. We don't get to put that aside. We're to be obedient to the word of God. But this wasn't the law. This Monday and Thursday thing was just something they pulled out of their shoe. You know, it was just like, hey, we're going to do this and we're going to make it look, we're going to put on a big show. They were consumed by tradition and rules that they couldn't even rejoice with the God that they're calling out to. He's right there and they're missing it. Church, it shouldn't be that way. When Jesus is with us, there is joy and there is celebration. I'm going to just have a moment of honesty. We miss that sometimes, don't we? Amen, Jeff. Good word, man. Are you with me, guys? Man, we miss it. Jesus is with us. And, and, and we're weighed down by the world's troubles and, and everything that's going on in the world instead of being in awe of Jesus and filled with joy because of his presence in our life. 
Church, let us be reminded that Jesus changes everything. And while there's a lot of, of trying to please God, there was a bunch of hard work to earn God going on, religious activity going on, right? The, the religious activity that actually brought heartache and sorrow and disappointment. I'm just going to tell you, if you don't know Christ and you're trying to earn God, you just stop. It's not possible. You will end in disappointment. Jesus just comes and says, I'm here. Stop trying. Let me do the work. Just believe in me, right? Jesus came to bring change. The rules and the burdens of religious activity was bringing sorrow. But here's the change, church. Jesus came to bring joy, not sorrow. Amen. Jesus came to bring joy, not sorrow. In our world today, there are many different religions that weigh us down. Right? They wear us out and they leave us feeling like we will never measure up. Think about the religions, the quote-unquote religions throughout the world. It's all about trying to earn and please whatever God it is. Right? That's what religion is. Is what do I need to do to earn God or to, or to earn heaven? The truth is you can't. And that's why Jesus came. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father but by me. So why are you trying? Just realize I'm here and I bring you joy. Sure. You guys will amen this stuff. Times are tough. Amen? Right? Things are not going to be easy. There are going to be things in your life where we will hurt and have fear, but we can still have that real ultimate joy that is only found in Jesus. One of, one of probably, I actually love doing this. I love being able to spend time with families that are in the hospital and, and maybe somebody's passing away or something like that. And there's a difference when you go and you visit with somebody that knows Christ and somebody that doesn't know Christ. There's no joy because it's the end for them. But for us, we look at it and say, man, we have ultimate joy because this is just temporary. If we're God's people, we belong with God, right? And one day we're going to be with him for eternity. And so there's joy in that. Throughout the book of Philippians, we walked through that, you know, a year ago. We see joy in Christ, joy amongst other believers in Christ, even joy in suffering. Right? As long as we have Christ. There is joy in being part of the family of God. There is joy in what Jesus is doing. There is joy in what Jesus is calling us to do. There is joy in heaven, church. There is joy in Jesus. Just say that with me. There is joy in Jesus. Let's try that one again. There is joy in Jesus. All right. You guys, third time. You got it right. All right. And here we have others so worried about their traditions and their ways of life and just these rules that they weren't even godly rules. They were made up things that they miss that the creator of the universe is in their presence, right? The creator of the universe, they miss that the one that came to save them is right in front of them, making his way to the cross. Church, it was never intended for it to be this way. Right? Yes, live a life with God. Yes, let Jesus live through you. Yes, there will be suffering. Right? There's going to be sacrifice for Jesus. But never forget, it is all about Jesus. And there's joy in who he is and what he brings. And for them, he's saying, I'm right here. The party's going on. And you guys are missing it. Jessica and I moved down here four and a half years ago. And so as a church planter... One of the things that I like to do is pay a lot of attention to those that we call the unchurched. People, they may be believers that know Christ that just won't go to church or people that don't know Christ and have never stepped foot in church or haven't been for a very long time. And there's many reasons people are unchurched. But I like to listen to what these unchurched say about the church. What are they saying about the church? 
And I'm hoping I can learn from them and say, man, why why aren't you coming? You're missing out. Let me tell you about this. Because for me, I know what Christ did for me, right? I can't help but want to gather corporately and worship with you all. This might be a shocker, but I like being with you guys. I know, you guys can't say the same about me. I get that, but you guys, you guys with me? It's, it should be enjoyable, right? There's joy in being with you guys. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out for you. One of the most common responses I find in the, is this. I don't want to go to a place where there is just a bunch of unhappy people. Are you hearing me? There are some of you this morning that have not smiled since you walked in here. I don't want to go to a place where there is a bunch of unhappy people, where those unhappy people are just living, trying to follow all the rules, knowing they can't ever be good enough. I don't want to go to a place like that, they say. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to go to a place like that either. Amen? Right? There's joy in Christ. It's not just the unchurched people saying it. It happens. Right? As Christians, we get too worried about how we look, about how religious and good we come off, instead of joyfully letting Christ grow us and live through us and joyfully being with one another. Christians can walk around like sad little puppies that have no friends. Preach it, Jeff. Are you with me? We have no reason to be happy. That's the way we walk around sometimes. And that makes zero sense. It makes absolutely no sense at all. A friend of mine in Kansas City said this. He said, the happiest place, the most joyful place in Kansas City should be the place where the Jesus followers are gathered. Church, I'm going to steal that. The most joyful place in Tucson should be the place where the Jesus followers are gathered. Amen, church? Let's work on that one. All right? The most joyful place in all of Tucson should be right here. And other places where people are gathered, where we get to worship God Right? The world is falling apart around us, but we know that we have Jesus and his hope and his forgiveness and his grace and his healing. We know that we get to spend eternity with a creator that we don't deserve. And we walk around like a sad little bunch of punks. Are you with me? I'm not saying we do that. As Christians as a whole, we, we, we know here that these friends and family that are in this room, if you've given your life to Christ, we get to spend eternity with one another. Y'all are stuck with me, Right? We get to rejoice the goodness of God, church. Right? We get, to, we get to sing praises to Him. That even though we can never be religious enough, we can never be good enough, we can never be do, do enough, we still have a God that loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Woo! Let authentic life be the most joyful place in all of Tucson, church. Are you with me? Man, let Jesus just shine through your faces, man, so that we just, we, we, we're the happiest place here. Because we know Jesus, and we have Jesus, and that church will attract the world around us to Jesus. Amen. When others see you and your life, think about you personally, not your neighbor, would others describe your life as joyful? Would others describe our church as joyful? Right? Do they see that in your life? Because Jesus came to bring joy and not sorrow. So if your life is full of sorrow and you know Christ, you're missing it. You're missing something. So let's not be so worried about what we are doing and how we look that we miss that Jesus is with us. 
and that he loves us. So the first change we see is that Jesus and following him brings joy and not sorrow. Right? They're saying, you want to follow God, it's going to bring sorrow because you're you're, it's going to be hard and, and it's just going to bring sorrow. The second change we see is this. And really one reason why we have joy. Jesus came to make things new, not to perpetuate the old. Remember, we talked about change, change that, that we can look at and say, things will never be the same. Jesus comes on the scene and he brings change, right? We've seen that in our text today and now we're seeing it, or prior to today and now we're seeing it here. Jesus had talked about joy and the celebration and then in verse 20, we can't miss this, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in that day. First time in Mark that we see Jesus talk about his future death. That's what's happening here. In a wedding in their day, it was the guests that went away. Right? The, the bride and groom, they partied for three to seven days, and the guests left, and the couple started their life. You with me? The groom, the groom didn't leave. If you're having a celebration and somebody comes and kidnaps the groom, that might put a little damper on your party, right? And Jesus is saying that the groom is going to be taken away. A day of sorrow is coming. Jesus will be taken. He will be beaten. He will be falsely accused. He will be hung on a cross. He will suffer, and he will die to give his life for, for, for us. So Jesus is saying, while I'm here with them, let them rejoice until that day, and then they can fast. But here's the cool part. We know what happens at the end of this book, right? We know that they will ultimately be filled with joy because that beating, that death on the cross and that grave, they won't hold him very long. Because on the third day, Jesus rise again. Amen, church? If that doesn't bring a smile to your face, man, I don't know how to help you. Okay? Right? He's going to rise again, so even in his upcoming death, he's going to bring joy and not sorrow. But in that death and resurrection, here's what Jesus is saying. I'm coming to make things new, not perpetuate the old. When we come to Christ, this is what we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, you know Christ. He's your Lord and your Savior. He is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I remember talking to my grandma about her horse and then about her car, right? She rode that horse everywhere. She rode it around town. She went to school, and then all of a sudden they get their first car, and that changed everything. Here's what I didn't hear my grandma say. You know, we had our horse, and we put wheels on it, and we put a paint job on it to make it look really fancy so that we could look more like a car, but we still had the horse. Are you with me? Okay? That doesn't make any sense. But here's what's, here's what's happening. Jesus is going to describe this in this illustration. Jesus makes things new. Stop with your religious junk, right? Stop with trying and just follow me. You're going to see this here, but I want to say this. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. But it's, here's what Jesus is saying. Stop trying to make me fit in your stuff. We come to know Christ, right? And we're like, okay, uh, Jesus, yeah, I'm, I got Jesus in my life now, but you can fit in this part because that's what I have available for you. Jesus says, I want the whole thing. I'm going to make you new. I'm going to make you a new person. Are you with me? And these religious people are walking up to him and say, you're this religious leader. You're this spiritual guy, right? Why aren't you fitting in with our stuff? Jesus says, because I, I came to make things new. That's the change where things will never be the same, right? Things will never be the same. And so he describes it in this way in verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Right? If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. So he's saying, you got a shirt, you got a pair of pants that, that are old, right? You don't take a brand new piece of cloth and put it on there because when that puppy shrinks, it's going to rip the pants. Are you with me? All right. So then he goes on to say, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because if he does, the wine will burst the skin. 
And the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wine skins. So there's a fermenting process, right? The new wine skins need to be able to spread out. You don't take the new wine. You don't put Jesus in an old, in an old bag, right? He makes you new. And Jesus offers those illustrations for us to understand that he is the new cloth. He is the new wine. He's not an attachment or an addition to our status quo. He's saying, set aside your work-based religion that caused sorrow and grief and understand that it's all about the salvation by grace alone that's through Jesus Christ. Church, they came to Jesus with this religious attitude and with sorrow. And Jesus says, set, set that aside entirely and live a new life of joy and grace with Jesus because of Jesus. Amen? Jesus changes everything. Out with the old, in with the new, out with sorrow, in with joy, out with that religious attitude, in with grace with Christ. That's what he's telling them. There's change coming. Right? We can try our whole lives to earn God's favor and never be able to obtain it. How do we know it's been tried for years? That's why Jesus had to come. Or we can simply say, Jesus, I repent of my sins and I follow you. Right? We spend time with him. We rejoice in Jesus and let him give you an entirely new life that's full of joy. Are you with me, church? Man, that's the change that Jesus brings. We get this religious attitude that we got to be perfect. We got to do all. Look at me. I am not perfect. I can't even talk half the time, but yes, God's using me to bring the word of God. Are you with me? It's change. He makes things new. Not to fit into our old system of way of doing things. We have a new life in Christ. Amen. I think I'm done. I think so. Jesus came to make things new, not to perpetuate the old. And Jesus came to bring joy, not sorrow. Let our faces reflect that. Let our lives reflect that.